Welcome back to the nationally syndicated Price of Business show. I'm your host, Kevin Price, talking to you about you and your business. Is your business to know about the law and how it's affecting every aspect of your life? Is your business to know about what's happening that's really important in the media front, particularly as it relates to the law? And so that's why I'm really excited about uh, John O'Connor joining our uh, media team here. Uh, he'll be doing uh, reoccurring commentaries on business, the law, the political front, and the media. And we're delighted to have him join us. Uh, he's distinguished in uh, the legal profession. Uh, he is an experienced trial lawyer practicing law in San Francisco since the early 70s. And he has tried cases in state and federal courts throughout the country. He served as an assistant U.S. attorney in Northern California, representing the United States in both criminal and civil cases. But he may be best known for his work as the attorney of Mark Felt, whom most of you know as Deep Throat in the uh, Watergate uh, situation. And uh, he became very familiar with the role of the Washington Post in Watergate in his representation of Mark Felt. And so uh, he brings a lot of experience. He also wrote briefs regarding uh, Patty Hearst, the United States versus Patty Hearst, and really had himself involved in some of the biggest lawsuits of the uh, 20th century, representing the uh, federal government uh, in the vast majority of those cases. So we're delighted to have him. He's going to be bringing his interesting insights uh, every other week here on the Price of Business show. You can learn more about him and his work at postgatebook.com. That's postgatebook.com. And that's the name of uh, the, the book that uh, he talks about most often. It relates to media, Postgate. And again, that's postgatebook.com. All right, with that, John O'Connor. Thanks, Kevin. The Price of Business has asked me to comment on the possession of classified documents by former Vice President Biden and former President Trump. These two cases, of course, have facial similarities. Both of these high executive branch officials, one the former president, one the former vice president, both were found to have possessed classified documents after leaving office, giving rise in each case to the possible crime of mishandling of classified documents. For both men, each tableau is politically embarrassing with the media fully engaged. But the comparisons stop here. And this narrative is primarily a story of contrasts. The first obvious contrast is the treatment of the two situations by major media outlets. Trump was widely portrayed as possessing highly important documents on foreign nuclear capability. In fact, there was one document someone leaked that dealt with the lack of nuclear capability of an unnamed country and its desire to obtain same. Our bet is this would be South Korea, most likely, and possibly Iran. Yes, this document, as portrayed, should be classified because dealing with a U.S. government assessment, but do we really believe that it is teacup rattling that this country or that does not, underline not, have nuclear capability? Most in this audience would know such in fact without benefit of classified confirmation. But soon the media transmuted this bland document into a crucial explanation of nuclear codes and other existentially compromising nuclear information. Then, as a consequence, cable news began surmising that Trump wished to sell such documents to back up his quest for a fortune. 
picture Trump on a street corner in Moscow, furtively showing the documents to a spy with his trench coat open to reveal them. Now, once the midterm elections ended, in the middle of the paper story, the Washington Post quoted its sources as admitting that Trump's motives were largely egotistical, that is, he wanted to keep tokens of his achievements, such as the personal note from South Korea's Kim Jong-un. Trump also wanted documents detailing how the Russian collusion narrative was a hoax. This egotistical motive is hardly surprising, but yet the media did not for months infer this obvious state of mind of the egotistical ex-president. But what about Biden's connection to his documents? First, the media portrays his possession of them as inadvertent. These things happen when an official hurriedly packs up his belongings, we are told. But let's think about that one for just a while. We know that there was certainty that President Obama and VP Biden would be leaving office in January 2017. Unlike Trump, they knew they would not be sticking around. Accordingly, Obama began collecting documents well more than a year before leaving office. Biden was likely similarly preparing. The documents he chose to bring with him happened to have been strategic presidential briefings about foreign actors, with CNN naming Iran, Ukraine, and the UK, but not necessarily exclusively so. We do not know if assessments of China were included, but strongly suspect they were. By the way, the original tranche of papers included 10 documents. A document can be multiple pages, such that Webster's Dictionary would comprise one document. The fact that key strategic documents were found in the Penn-Biden Center suggests they were kept by Biden specifically for use and that the reports were lengthy documents. Even if we assume that an aide inadvertently and hurriedly packed documents from the VP's office, Biden had over a year after leaving to curate documents to bring with him to go to the Penn-Biden Center. His aides would not embarrass the former VP by including irrelevant or meaningless documents, so these briefing papers were likely intentionally and advisedly included. The Penn-Biden Center's title is, quote, for global engagement. It is therefore a reasonable inference that these documents were meant to further that purpose related to, quote, global engagement, unquote. So what conclusions can we draw? First, as a former president, Trump had the absolute right to keep his presidential records. 51 million papers were digital and immediately went to the archives to see to it that Trump had continuing access to both classified and unclassified documents. President Obama, for example, was allowed continuous possession of millions of unclassified documents, which he still keeps in an archives-rented warehouse outside Chicago. Trump handled his document turnover as would be typical for him in a blundering, bullish manner. But did he have the right as president to move the documents to Mar-a-Lago? Yes, he did. Clearly, the process of selecting documents for the Penn-Biden Center meant that at least some point, Biden knew he possessed classified documents. It would seem that Biden is guilty not only of stealing government property, but also of mishandling classified information, another crime. But let's draw some further inferences. If these briefing papers would be used by Hunter Biden, an agent of two foreign powers, China and Ukraine, that is technically espionage. Of course, we know that Chinese interests contributed $54 million to the center. Even if a Chinese agent did not read the briefings or make a copy, if anyone, underline anyone, from the Penn-Biden Center briefed a foreign actor on any of the classified contents, that is espionage. It is a reasonable inference that these documents were intentionally placed in the Penn-Biden Center for use in, quote, global engagement. Global engagement, of course, can be a polite way of suggesting influence peddling to foreign actors. So, one would think, Trump, as an ex-president who came into possession of documents legally and who kept documents in a locked storage locker, committed no substantive crime, whereas it appears that Biden committed at least three groups of substantive crimes. 
Accordingly, one would conclude, Biden will be charged with crimes, but not Trump. If you think that, however, you have not been paying attention to our world. It is a reasonable prediction that Biden will be exonerated as possessing the documents inadvertently and praised for immediately handing them over after his lawyer, quote, discovered, unquote, them. This is like saying I gave back all the money I robbed from the bank once the FBI caught me. Is it believable that no one before this honest lawyer did so after six years of possession? Notice these top secret markings. Or is it a more likely inference that this lawyer was the first person with any active conscience to do so? In any case, my bet, for which I will give odds, is that Biden escapes. I believe that special counsel Robert Hur has likely given a wink and a nod to the partisan Merrick Garland, who I do not think would pick a special counsel likely to indict Biden. But Trump, I predict, will be indicted based on the favorite weapon of progressives, process crimes. It will be claimed that by fighting the handover of some documents, Trump obstructed justice. And if he told any aide to deny that any classified documents remained, he would be charged with 18 U.S.C. 1001, a false statement in a federal, quote, proceeding, unquote. There was a, quote, proceeding, unquote, because once Merrick Garland opened a criminal case, even though there was not yet a crime, there was now a, quote, proceeding, likely meant to catch Trump. By having made unwarranted charges against Trump regarding possession of classified documents, Biden, to some extent, will reap what he has sown in media attention. But the prediction here is that Merrick Garland, special counsel Robert Hur, and a compliant, brain-dead media will ride to Biden's defense. If anyone has concerns about double standard justice and a partisan media protecting that double standard, these concerns will soon be strongly validated.